Good morning. My name is Reggie. I'm an alcoholic. Hi, by the grace of God and the actions of Alcoholics Anonymous and sponsorship, I've been sober since the 8th of February, 1976. And that may not be a big deal to you, but it is to me, and I'm glad for that. First of all, I got some important things to get out of the way. I want. I'm glad Tony can make it, because um, <laughs> I want to hear. I want him to hear my comment. I want to thank the committee for asking me. Um, Tony, there's a guy named Reggie down in Charleston, West Virginia, at the Holiday Inn, still waiting to meet you to have that meeting. <laughs> and Carol, you got even. I met her in Virginia, and I, she was nervous about talking, and I said, I'm glad it's you and not me, and she said, you'll get your turn. Well, <laughs> I got my turn. Uh, this hat, I don't know if I'm Beanie and Cecil. Or I can take the flyer off and take it back home and be and young Kipper. I don't know. I'm not sure, but I'm going to let my wife to decide. I am glad to be here. I am. Uh, it's an honor to share in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, if you're waiting for a stereotype black story, well, he'll be here next next year. Uh, there was a large contingency last night of people of color, and I guess they decided to sleep in this morning, or they were afraid I might tell the truth. <laughs> now, to get the book straight, okay, so you don't misunderstand where I'm coming from, I'm colorblind, I can't sing, I can't dance, I have no rhythm. <laughs> I don't eat watermelon. There's a lot of things I don't do. At one point in my life, I knew how to drink. I thought I did, and I did my share of that. I'm lucky tonight, or today, that my sponsor's here. So if I fall flat on my face, he'll laugh at me and tell me to go on and do my thing. And uh, I was glad to be here and participate with Johnny. Johnny H., who's going to talk tonight. I'm glad to hear the speakers last night, and those are going to come after me. <clears throat> There's a young lady who's going to share from Fort Wayne later on, and I had to be polite to her because I had some friends in Fort Wayne, and I had to listen to her talk last night to make sure she wasn't one of those people that I had met in the past and didn't know who she was. And <laughs> she'll share her story, and she could have met me too. <laughs> what happened is I drank a lot. And on the 7th of February, 1976, I had had all the alcohol that this drunk is probably supposed to have. I believe that. For me, uh, if I had known that I was going to go to AA and not be able to drink anymore one day at a time, I would have finished that last glass of Chevy's Regal I was drinking. I didn't. I left it thinking there was more to come later. I surrendered at that point. I would love to say that my life got wonderful. I jumped into AA and everything just got beautiful. It didn't happen that way. What happened was a series of events. In November 1975, uh, around the 14th of November, and I'm a prior military, so those of you who are in prior military will understand this, it's the day before payday in the Air Force. And I always had a running tab at the NCO club, and I went and did my weekend, my daily drinking, and, t and put it on the tab, no sweat, I'll pay tomorrow. And I drank my share that night to whatever that share of it is. I went home, wherever home is, and made it however I made it home, driving a vehicle that I'm not supposed to be able to drive. And I went to sleep, got up the next day, put my clothes back on, that I, or maybe I had the same clothes on, I'm not quite sure, I go to work. I was smart at the end. I left my uniforms at work, and I would go to work and change clothes, and I was always at work on time. I'm one of those drunks that has to eat breakfast in the morning. Don't ask me why, but I would have to eat, so I ate, went to work, got dressed. About 9 o'clock in the morning, I had this urge. I needed something cold to drink. Now, the bowling alley served beer. Now, I'm not a beer drinker, but I had to go get my morning beer, and I had a beer that morning, but people were looking for me. The Red Cross had notified the base that it was necessary for me to go to North Carolina to help my father bury his, mo uh, his mother. And they had trouble finding me. Good alcoholic like me, I was out moving around. I mean, you know, moving target. 
And they finally tracked me down and we got everything sorted out. And I got on an airplane and I was in Europe. I'm an international drunk. That's all I am. I just drank in foreign countries where a lot of you just drank around here in Kentucky, Ohio, you know, back and forth across. I, I did a lot of European drinking. <laughs> makes me international. Makes my case different. <laughs> makes me special. <laughs> and I got there. And if I had only known, God, who I understand has a sense of humor, had opened up and said, Reg, here are the next few events that's going to happen in your life. I would have I would have been able I would have sat back and laughed and said, Not me. One of the things I did is I was drunk when I got there, of course. I'm a typical alcoholic. Airplanes serve alcohol and I had my share. I had to make a layover here and a layover there. And I ended up in North Carolina and they picked me up and went to my aunt's house, I think. I'm not sure. And I had something to drink there and we did what people do when someone dies. You sit around and oh the poor person they were good. I wanted to drink. I didn't want to get into that stuff. But after we buried my grandmother, I made a statement. Don't know where this statement came from. But I made a statement, if any of my parents died, there'd be no alcohol served. I don't, I'm a full-blown alcoholic. I'm getting ready to come to AA, folks. And I make a statement like that. I don't know where it came from, but I made it. And in a series of events, I went from North Carolina to Virginia to help my brother drive, which I never did drive. And I drank for a week. And by that time, I got on my airplane and went back to Europe. It was United. It's not mine. United owned it. I thought I owned it. And I got on the airplane and I went back to Europe. Now, while I'm on the airplane, see, I have another disease. It's called females. <laughs> and when I start drinking, I get cool. When I met John, he just blew all my dreams because I always wanted to be tall. <laughs> But I can't figure out how to be tall and as good looking as I am, because look at that. <laughs> so I'm on this airplane on my way back to Europe, and I'm trying to be suave and debonair to this young lady and tell her all the ways of what's going to happen when she gets there and how I can take her out and show her the highlights of Amsterdam and all these other places and drinking a few. You know, the more I drank, the better I got. And I got there, and my car was ready at the airport, and I drove her back in my fancy car. I'm just impressing her. Come to find out, the young lady that I'm supposed to be dating is sponsoring her. And I get confronted with both these two young ladies. Alcoholic like me? I lied. I got out of that one. But what happened is that night, I got in a car accident. Now, I like saying in a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous, because that's what the medical people say, that my car had an accident. The car hit a tree, totaled out the tree. The girlfriend who wasn't supposed to be the girlfriend was in the car and she went through the windshield and her wig saved her life. <laughs> Put a big hole in the windshield besides the car being totaled out. And I say the car drove and hit the tree because they medically said that I was too drunk to even be walking, more or less driving. Now, I've been doing this for quite some time, so I had no problem. I just drove on radar. Some of you might not understand about radar. I'm in trouble. Now, I'm on a military installation that frowns upon people having accidents where they obstruct traffic. They just don't like it, and everybody knew about it. I mean, I couldn't be anonymous if I wanted to be. And here's my car, which was a canary yellow car. To be anonymous and be cool, I got a canary yellow car, and it's obstructing traffic, and everybody knows about it, and I, they take me off, and... They turn me over to the Dutch authorities and they prove that I'm under the influence of alcohol. And they did their thing and turned me back over to the military. Now, the military has a program. And in this program, you're supposed to go get counseling about the way and manner that you drink. Okay. I got an attitude. I cop a big attitude. Leave me alone. I can do it my way, but I like my paycheck. And the military was about to kick me out. Now, I don't know about you, alcoholic, but this alcoholic has to have money. Because I can't impress you with nothing if I don't have money. And what happened is I said, I'll play your game. And I went in, and one of these sessions, there was a film by a gentleman that a lot of us know in AA. And he ran this chalk talk film. And something clicked. I don't know what it was. I, I've listened to the tape. 
I've heard it over and over. I've met him. But something clicked that day. I don't know if the magic words about going to Alcoholics Anonymous, if you have a problem with drinking, and all those nice cliches that we hear now. I don't know if that was said. But I heard something that day. And for the next ten days, I went on a drunk. And it ended up on 7th of February, 1976, in the NCO club about quarter to eleven. I said, that's it. It ain't working. And I wish that I had the power to say that I did it. But the switch went on and cut everything off. And I went back to my dorm. And I said the alcoholic prayer. Dan, help me. I didn't say God, because I know about God. I was Methodist when I was young. I was Catholic later on, and I'm nothing today. I know about God, and it didn't work. So I wasn't talking to God. My roommate's name was Dan. A little short guy, shorter than me, so it would have been real funny standing next to Big John. And I asked Dan for help. I didn't want to drink anymore. And that night we went through whatever one goes through, not drinking. And they, he said I peed in the bed and I did some other things. I don't know. I was probably in a blackout. I don't know. The next morning I got up and I went to Mass. And, I, and being a Catholic, I got on my knees one too many times. And I must have asked somebody else for some help. Because that's the last time I had a drink of alcohol. And I like to tell you that that's the end of my story. Everything's happy, good night, thank you, and I'll, I'll walk off. If it didn't happen that way. Started going to meetings of Alcoholics Anonymous. The first meeting I went to was a birthday party. They were celebrating anniversaries or something. There was cake, kids, cigarette smoking, a lot of chatter, just like in a bar. I was at home. I knew the beat, I knew the tune, I knew the words to the song. It was you people in a bar, but you're in an AA meeting. And I heard all this good stuff. And they said, come on in. People were shaking my hand and welcoming me. They all knew I was a newcomer. I had a neon sign across my forehead that said, newcomer, newcomer, get him, get him, get him. And a guy walked into the meeting that I had seen on my base. Now, see, I'm in Saragossa, Spain. My, state, I'm, my home base is in Holland. I'm in trouble with the military. And when you're in the kind of trouble that I was in, normally you're restricted to the base. And they allowed me to go to Spain. Don't ask me why. Seconds and inches. Coincidence, you know, just situations that happen. I'm in Spain, and that's where I came in AA. My first AA meeting was like a birthday party. I've been hanging around AA ever since. It's like a birthday party. It's like being in a bar. A lot of noise, a lot of chatter. For an alcoholic like me, I needed that in the beginning. I needed you people slapping me on the back, telling me it's okay, accepting my lies, playing the silly games that we play. We call it fellowship. I thought it was AA. I got AA. I went back to my home group after my first meeting, and they allowed me to, you know, they put me in, in charge of coffee. So I had a service job when I first got in AA. I was making instant Maxwell House coffee. <laughs> and my claim to fame is I can ruin instant Maxwell House coffee. No one in that little group said, this is bad coffee. Because then, you know, you take it and you take a teaspoon or whatever it is and you put it into coffee cups. Not plastic stuff and styrofoam. We had china cups because it was in the church. We used their, their, their dishes. And I would pour the water and I ruined their coffee. None of them said, yeah, you know. They just said, keep coming back. <laughs> just don't drink. That's what I was told. Just don't drink. You told me that for six months. Just don't drink today, Reg. It'll be okay. I had a sponsor. I had a Dutchman for a sponsor. The, the guys that were in the meeting, we all had the same common problem. We were all divorcees. So you can imagine what those first meetings were like. But I didn't drink. I just kept coming back. Just coming back. I don't know when they introduced me to the steps. The big book that I carry, my security blanket, is the first one I ever had. It took me quite a while before I ever read it. But I had one. I was just going to meetings. Not drinking one day at a time. And one time, I, you know, and I knew guys were going to treatment and they were going down to Germany. So I asked my Dutch sponsor, because he had gone down several times and helped them out down there. I said, raise my, you know, meeting, I raised my hand. Can I go to treatment? And he said, no. Why not? He says, you're too sick. <laughs> I understand today. What I would have done is what everyone else who done it went through treatment. Go down there, come back. Go to the NCO club, sit in the corner, drink orange juice, put dimes into the jukebox, 
Listen to that nice, smooth music. Could be Ray Price, help me make it through the night. Bobby Womax, Hell Melvin in the Blue Notes, you name it. I didn't care. Country and Western, it was all sad music. And I watched them. And they slowly went from drinking orange juice to having a cup of coffee to a beer and back out. And that's what I would have done, folks. Because I wasn't ready for this thing called not drinking. Alcohol wasn't my problem. My problem was living. Alcohol allowed me to live in this world. Alcohol was my friend. I don't know when it stopped being my friend. I never had to find out. I just know I got to a point and I couldn't do anything that made me feel good. Females weren't making me feel good. Money wasn't making me feel good. Alcohol wasn't making me feel good. I was just sick. And I had the lie that I had, the feelings I had all my entire life. Fear. Self-centeredness. I had it all coming out at me. And you were just telling me, just keep coming back. Don't drink today. And then all of a sudden, they had a birthday party in our meeting. They had a nice, big, thick, juicy Dutch cake. All the cholesterol you're not supposed to have nowadays, but it was nice. And a guy got a medallion. I thought it was a nice little, you know, cute medallion, something I didn't have, you know. I said, well, how do I get one of those? They said, you can have it if you make it to a year. Tell me that. I made it to a year just to get my cake and my medallion, not drinking one day at a time. There are some things I did my first year in AA I'm not proud of. I won't tell you from the podium. I don't recommend it. It has to do with other people's wives and stuff, and that's enough of that. <laughs> but I didn't drink. I didn't drink. I was going to meetings. Wasn't drinking. My second year in AA, God in his wisdom had a sense of humor, and he knew I was not ready for the United States. Sent me to the Pacific. And he sent me on an island, three by five at its widest points. I didn't drink that year. And I had a big mountain there. I used to take the company jeep. And I go up on the mountain and I talk to God. Me and God. Now, if you're a newcomer, what is he talking about? Well, I heard it in AA. You got to get God in your life. Well, I went to the mountain. I know all church. I went to the mountain. Talked to God. Nuttier than a fruitcake. But I was talking to God. Had a big book. Didn't open it. <laughs> Couldn't go to AA meetings. It required a boat ride and all that other stuff. Couldn't go to AA meetings. But I'm sober. I'm not drinking. Get out of my way. I'm not drinking. See? Make it through that year. God had a sense of humor. He said, maybe he's ready. Yes, maybe. So he let me come back to the United States. Sent me to California. That's the first time I ever heard about Johnny Harris. That was fine. He was in Southern California. People like him belong down there. I was in Northern California. That's why he's very important in my life. I was doing the things that I wanted to do. I finally went to an AA meeting and I couldn't stand the pressure anymore. I hung out in slippy places like the NCO club looking cool. I had lost a lot of weight and I had new Korean clothes on waiting for her to come along. See, I'm a divorcee. My ex-wife explained to me for the 999th time why she got rid of me, which I also agreed with her. I was trying to get rid of me too. I kept bringing me along. And that committee in my head kept saying, here we are. And I kept going in places. And I went to an AA meeting. And they knew that I was not a newcomer, just new in the area. I was a man of color. I felt like a fly in buttermilk. And you made me unique. You forgot to talk to me about the steps, sponsorship, home group. You just... Let me entertain you. And I can do that well. Because when the pain is too good for me, I can entertain. That gets the heat off. And you didn't do anything. You know, you just let me do that. And you thought I was cute. And you let me play. And that's, that's okay. Because I needed to do that to survive. And I used to make statements, I need a female in my life. None of you guys know nothing about that, right? You young guy, you know, got to have a female in my life. And I don't want it from church, and I don't want it from AA. Well, God in his wisdom, his sense of humor said, here's one for you, Edge. Ha! The biggest drunk I've ever, ever, ever met. 
And I know some coyotes <laughs> that I've met in my life. And she was the worst drunk I have ever met in my entire life. And I've heard some of you women's stories. And this drunk was worse than that. Because, see, I'm not drinking. I would do crazy things like go buy a quart of rum for her, and she would pass out. So I'd take the rum bottle home, pour it out. Because I know you're not supposed to have alcohol around. And then the, you know, the routine went over and over and over and over and over again. And what to make a long story short, she was on my telephone making a long-distance telephone call to her ex-boyfriend playing my records on my stereo. I'm suffering from untreated alcoholism. I come in and I'm going to fix it. Another awakening came into my life. I was trying to send her to God by way of the garbage disposal. They have a place in California called Vacaville for the people who are mentally disturbed who kill. I would have went down with Charles Manson and the rest of the gang. Because that's what I was trying to do. And a light bulb came on from AA, said, call Ted. Now, Ted was this old, raunchy old man with one leg, one lung, and he walked around thumping his big book. Thumping his big book, talking about doing AA. It's in the book and all that. And I called Ted. Now, the story goes, I called him twice, and twice he gave me something to do. And on the third call, he said, you better get over here. My surrender was like a wet pepper and whipped, and I couldn't handle it anymore. I went over to Ted's house. And he tried to introduce me to the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. Ted's sponsor number two. Ted, Ted and I started doing a little AA. I became a chairman of the meeting. Normally the chairman chaired for about six months. I was chairing much longer than that. And Ted raised his hand at a meeting one night. He said, I think we should have an election. You know, and I've got to honor my sponsor. I'm in charge. Sure, Ted. He says, I think we should have it now. Okay, Ted. And they elected a new chairman. <laughs> That's okay. I know. Chairmans take over after. Ted raised his hand again, and I'm getting a little irritable about this guy interrupting my meeting. What do you want, Ted? He says, I think the chairman should take over right now. Get up, move, sit down, shut up. Cruel sponsorship. Cruel. You missed Johnny last night talking about it. Cruel sponsorship. That school that they go to. Nasty. You know, inconsiderate. Don't care about our sensitive feelings. The big book says it. We're sensitive. He didn't care. Got me up out of it. Make a long story short, we got close to step four. Everybody knows what step four is. We all know what happens after four is five. I ain't telling nobody nothing. I'm from the East Coast, folks. I got friends who hang around in a social club called Sons of Italy. They wear dark suits. Slick hair. Some of them are from Sicily. And we had a code back on the East Coast in that area. You don't tell nobody nothing. I ain't telling the secret. I know what the secret is. It's killing me, but I ain't telling the secret. So I stopped talking to Ted. He talked about fourth step. He ran me two steps, one, two, three. I said, fine, but I ain't doing four because I know what comes after four. I'm no dummy. I see him on the wall. I know what it says. I got to tell somebody. And if I told Ted what was going on in my life, he wouldn't want me, he wouldn't have anything to do with me. He would kick me out of his house, lock up his dog, not let his grandchildren in. None of those things. He knows what I'm like. I'm not telling. So I'm not talking to Ted. But I honored his request as a sponsor. And when I asked him, he said, call me every day. I called every day. Called his house. If Ted answered the phone, I say, hi, Ted, how you doing? Can I speak to Ann? Ann was his wife. And I do my thing. I called every day. I honored my sponsor's request. Wasn't talking to him. And we did this for a while. God, in his wisdom, had a sense of humor. And he decided that California and I were not going to see eye to eye. 
and he sent me to, oh my God, Nebraska. <laughs> now, I had been stationed at some time in my military career in Kansas. And as has been said, as the people who have spoken from the podium talk about Kansas, Dorothy must have been an alcoholic. <laughs> she wanted to go back to Kansas. <laughs> Nobody wants to go back to the Midwest. So I knew all about the Midwest. I wasn't into AA, so I wasn't concerned about what AA was or was not there. I just didn't want to go to Nebraska. And I got there. And I had a list of names of people to contact in AA. I had some instructions to get involved in hospital and institution work. I might be able to stay sober. I had all the tools that AA talks about. So I had been in Nebraska about 10 days. And the family that I was staying with, they were drinking. And beer stinks at night when it's stale. And if you're an alcoholic like me, that bothers you after a while. It's like stale cigarette smoke. After a while, it gets to you when you think you're pure and you don't smoke anymore. You know how that is? So I called an individual on the list. Now, most people would have called the first name. I called the last name. Don't know why. I get this gentleman on the phone, and he says... How you doing? Been, been expecting you. We heard you were coming. Would you like to go to a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous? Oh, no, I'm too busy. I got other things going on. He said, okay, you know, give me a call, something to that nature. Call me again, whatever. And we hung up, and I go back, and I sit in my misery. And I call back, and he gives me, you know, the next day, I think it was. Yes, it was a Tuesday, and I called him on a Wednesday. And I said, yes, I want to go. He said, do you know how to get there? Alcoholic like me? Yeah, I know how to get there. I'm notorious for getting lost. I can't get to my hotel room here. <laughs> I have been ten different ways to get to my room. I get lost. I get lost going to the bathroom. It's straight across the hall. But I'm going to show him I know my way. I've been doing this all my entire life, folks. My way. So I'm on my way, getting lost to the meeting, finally show up. <clears throat> People welcomed me, shaking my hands. They all knew that I was coming because I switched places with a guy, technically. He was in AA in Nebraska, and he went to California to the base that I was on, and I left that base. And so they knew, and he knew. He had sent the word back. There's a guy named Reggie coming to make sure so my anonymity wouldn't get broke. His name is Reggie of color. <laughs> Keep my anonymity intact. And they all knew I was coming. There ain't too many black Reggies, I'm sorry, in Nebraska. <laughs> and to clarify that, I gave you my last name so you can make sure you can find it in the telephone book if you happen to come through, because I'm listed in the book. And I go to, to that meeting, and people shake my hand, and I start, ah, maybe this is okay. It's okay. And I go on a Tuesday night. And that Tuesday, they were short a speaker or something, I don't know. And they asked me to speak. Now, when you're cool and saw, you know, swayed and saw, you know, debonair, you know, you look like they needed some, you know, some upbringing on AA of what it's all about. I got up the podium and said some crazy, crazy statements. Nothing to do with AA, by the way. <laughs> Nothing. If a newcomer got something out of that meeting, what he found out is don't do what he has done. <laughs> so I carried the message. And at the end of my talk, I made a statement. And I had this, this same book, the only thing, it didn't have a nice fancy cover on it. It had the typical blue one. And I said, whenever you see me, you see me and my big book, we'll be walking. And I sat down. I mean, you know, not self-centered. Not self-centered, not me. And I made that statement. And I looked down, and they had tables at that time. And everybody there had a big book. Just blew my image all the heck. Now I feel lowered in well poop. I hear I got to get a sponsor, so I asked this gentleman to be my sponsor. He went to sponsorship school. <laughs> it's the kind of sponsor that I need. Maybe you don't need. My sponsor, as far as I'm concerned, as I hear it. Now I'm sharing my perception of what was about. It may not be the truth, but this is how I saw it. My sponsor has never asked me 
to do something. My sponsor says, do this, do that, right now. Now, my sponsor will talk and he will say, he suggests things. I don't hear it that way. See, because if you suggest something to me, that means my brain says, I have a choice. Let me compute and find the easier, softer way. And I'm always going to take the easier, softer way. I don't like pain. And to do AA requires a little pain. It means give up self. And I don't want to do any of that stuff. I told you, I'm young. I'm back from the East Coast, man. We were, we're our own proud individuals, you know. You look in the dictionary on the macho, chauvinist pigs and all that that women call us men. And my picture is there. I know what I am. i got to do things my way. And i got to allow someone else in my life call sponsorship to direct my life. I can do it my way. I'm doing fine. Thank you. Look at it. I've been sober for a while. And what happened is I had five years, 11 months, and two weeks of undetected drinking. I was about as dry as, as a piece of paper blowing in the wind, looking for a match. I had gotten to a point, jumping off the bridge sounded very good. I had this crazy wife, this screaming baby, I'm fed up with it all. The military doesn't understand. AA in Bellevue, Nebraska doesn't understand. Don't they know? I'm different. I'm unique. I need special care. They didn't care. Nobody cares. And I went to a Sunday morning meeting. And a gentleman in that meeting, who ends up being a brother pigeon of mine, saved my life. He suggested that I go talk to this guy that I call my sponsor. And as I remember the story, there were a bunch of people at his house this Sunday morning. We had just had a, uh, our, one of our, our anniversary, our group anniversary, and the speaker was at his state at his house, and they were having breakfast with people there, and they were laughing and joking, and I busted in like a bull in a china shop. I need help. Help me. Help me. And when I get that emotion, tears run down my face. I, I want to drain it all. I want to get all the sympathy. And he takes me down in his basement. And he takes out three pieces of legal size paper. Now, if you guys aren't new to this, I want you to listen up to this, the newcomers. Listen to this up now. This is important. And on each piece of paper, he put three titles. And he says, I want you to go home and write about these three things to the best of your ability. One week, come back. We will talk about it. Now, if you're not catching this and you're new in AA, this is called step four and step five. The thing that I was not going to do, ever. And it was killing me. The secret was killing me. And I did what he asked. I couldn't take the pain anymore. I was desperate. I wanted relief. Alcohol was not going to do it. My wife couldn't do it. I had already learned by then that I couldn't have an affair. My sponsor don't go along for things like that. Very serious individual. So I did it. I would like to tell you, after I did my fifth, I celebrated my sixth AA anniversary. I was a holy man. I knew truth. And AA got better. Nope. This crazy wife I have... says, did you tell him? So I didn't get to go home and sit back on my laurels and take the book off the shelf, look through and see if I covered everything in my past. I opened up the door and she hit me with that. Did you tell him? She knew what the secret was, that I was a rotten SOB. And I was able to fess up and say, yes, I told him. Since then, he knows who I am. He did not laugh at me. He shared some stuff that if I had known that about him, <laughs> it's debatable whether I would have asked him to be my sponsor. <laughs> and the fear that I had, the lie, was gone. It was removed. I became a holy spiritual individual. See the palms of my hands. Thank you. Nope. 
nope, nope. I'm still unique. I'm still special. I'm trying to do AA. I'm looking back at my past. Stuff is coming from the, from the past. Things I don't understand. Direction. How to be a parent. How to be a son. How to be, an a, how to be a human being. I don't know how to do those things. When you're self-centered, and you've been self-centered for a long time, it's hard to be anything else. So I would go to meetings. I would get involved. I picked a home group. My sponsor had a meeting with the guys that he sponsors, and he talked about home group. And we all got a chance to claim a home group. And we, 99% of us claimed the one that he called home group. Now, my home group, and if you don't feel this way about your home group, maybe you need to look for a new one. But my home group is the best home group in the world. In the world. We meet every Tuesday night in a church basement, approximately 400 people. We go to meetings basically dressed like this, but it's okay if you don't. I want to make it a meeting of attraction. It's my home group. It's like my house. I want it good and perfect. And we go to those meetings and we laugh and joke. Swap lies. Oh, man, you should hear all the stuff that goes on. You wouldn't think it was an AA meeting. Just like being in the bar. There's a gentleman here who's been there. One of the prerequisites of going to that meeting is I hope you got some car keys or something that you can claim a chair because it fills up. We have a raffle. Now, the woman there with the most amount of sobriety you would think would be on a pillow, be serene, she keeps track who's winning between the males and the females. You keep wondering, when's this AA meeting going to start because we're crazy. We start about 7 o'clock at night. The meeting ain't even started. It starts at 8. So we get there about 7. That's just to get a parking place. And we're having fun. I learned how to start laughing. You were laughing at me for a long time. I started laughing at me too. I'm funny. And when I get loose as a goose, I'm really funny. Because I just let it rip. I don't have to pretend anymore. I can be me. And I can remember when I first came into AA, I was scared to death that you would find out that I ain't for real. My past will tell you that. So I'm in this meetings. I'm doing these crazy things. I'm doing steps. I'm doing service work. Some young kid comes up to me, a young man of color, thinks we have something in common. And he says, the, the thing that most people are afraid of. Will you be my sponsor? <laughs> I was taught in AA, you can't say no. So I say, yeah. I'm not dumb. I'm not dumb. I run to my sponsor. He gave me and asked me to sponsor him. What do I do? Sponsor him. How? Do the things that you do. Have him do what you do. Oh. <laughs> Take him to meetings so he might hear the message, because obviously you ain't got it. <laughs> oh. See, so I don't want to hear about I ain't been sober long enough to sponsor. I am not the messenger. I may be the messenger. The messenger may be the one who sticks his key in the car, drives the newcomer to a meeting, who hears something profound and he stays sober or she stays sober for the rest of their life. Or it could be the person that you're sponsoring and you've been harping about the same thing for over and over and over. Don't take a drink one day at a time. Over and over and over again. And some speaker comes in slick from Nebraska and he says, you can make it. Just don't drink today. And the individual runs back to the sponsor. Guess what I heard? Guess what I heard? This crazy guy named Reggie said, I don't have to drink today. Just one day at a time. And the sponsor goes... <laughs> That's what I've been trying to tell you. That's what happens at my group. We just go and have fun. I got to a point in my life. I'm moving along in the steps. Things are starting to get gray. I'm not unique anymore. Other men of color are starting to come to meetings. Other newcomers are coming and they're more important. They're funnier. They have funnier stories. She looks cuter. All those things that take away from the newcomer, how old you may be, how new you think you are, 
they come in. I needed something new in my life to excite me, you know, perk it up. My sponsor's wife, who has a sense of humor, you heard her last year, Peggy. Peggy was talking about the traditions. I know about traditions. I go to district meetings. I know about them. It's good for AA. What do I need them for? The first tradition says something like we. They don't say I. It's a way of laughing at yourself. That'll get you out of yourself in a heartbeat. Because it makes you join the human race. So I start applying the traditions into my life. Miracle happened. My wife comes into AA. She gets a sponsor so I can't manage her life. <laughs> I told you I'm a chauvinist. I can't manage her life. She's coming home with profound stuff. She's not asking me for direction. i got to figure out how to fix this thing. So I was told by my sponsor and going to enough meetings, maybe if I apply these traditions into our marriage, it might work. I don't know if it works or not. I know how to get a divorce, folks. That's easy. The judge says, divorce, you will pay X number of dollars. I know how to pay child support. It's easy. You write a check. Put it in an envelope. Lick the stick. Every month. That's easy. I don't know how to be a parent. I don't know how to be a husband. I don't know what love is. Because love to me is like heat. Now I get heat a lot. When I was younger. So I don't know about this stuff. I'm trying to do, you know, I'm just trying to survive. So I got steps, I got traditions, I got a home group. Everybody knows me. They call, I got all kinds of nicknames. I pick on newcomers. Because if you can't pick on newcomers, who can you pick on? I can't pick on people who've been sober for a while. I mean, you got a whole row here. Four guys. The future leaders of AA. I'm going to be dead, thank God. But that's it. Who are you going to pick on? I don't know who else. I gotta have fun. I gotta learn how to laugh. Because see, when I was growing up, there was no laughter in my house. I, I majored in when I was in grammar school in recess. When I got to high school, I majored in sports. I was a legend like John in my mind. The United States Air Force gave me the opportunity to go to Europe. Basketball wasn't well known over there then, so I was a star, a legend. Little kids come up to me, want my autograph, and I rip it off. Till I got hurt. Shattered my life. I can never play basketball again. Kill me. So what do you do? Thank God the dream team is playing basketball over there to show them what basketball really is. And they can forget what John and I were trying to teach them. Because <laughs> we both were over there drinking, and I tell you what, it wasn't basketball. <laughs> I had an opportunity to go back home. And I'm talking to my buddy that we went to, we were grammar school rivals. We played in the boys' club against each other. We had been friends for years. When I left home in 1965 to join the United States Air Force, I was mad. There was five of us who were friends in high school. We all played sports. And I had a school leather jacket on with the school emblem on it. Nowadays, they call it, you know, colors. Groups of men in color, which means gangs. Back then, we wore our school leather jackets and we hung together. Same thing they're doing nowadays. The only thing is, you know, we broke windows. You know, we didn't shoot anybody, you know. So I was cool. And my world was shattering because those four guys were going to college. They did some studying while they were in high school. So I joined the Air Force. I was mad at them for leaving me. And I was home three weeks ago talking to my buddy. To show you how I am, how self-centered that I am. My friend says... The thing that hurt him is all his friends left, and he was all alone. See, I thought I was the one all alone. Even though he went to school in the local town, he left. I'm the one that left. When I left my hometown, I really left. I mean, I left Connecticut and went to Europe, where I became a man in all areas of my life. Not helpful, but that's what I did. So I had to regroup. 
my perception of what I was like when I was a little kid. I was told that I was quiet. And back at my home group, though, don't believe that one, because I'm not quiet. And I was shy. I'm not shy. Those of you who met me last night were wondering if I ever was going to unwind. I mean, I get loose and I'm gone. I just like a spinning top. And I was breakdancing before breakdancing was famous. And I understand there's a lot of people in here who know how to do that too. That's when you fall off the bar stool to music and you try to get back up on your bar stool. <laughs> so I was doing all those crazy things. All of a sudden I had to grow up. I had to accept being part of the human race. My sponsor was trying to get me, you know, just be yourself, Reg. Rule 62 was not in my, <laughs> in my vocabulary. I'm sorry. You know. Don't take yourself so serious. Hey, if I don't take myself serious, who is? Who is? I'm unique. I'm different. I'm special. I need attention. And you weren't going to give it to me anymore. You said, you've been sober for a while. Let's do AA. Let's get into the steps. Let's sponsor people. Get out of yourself. More guys started asking me to sponsor them. And I started listening to their pain and any problems. Took the focus off of my pain and any problems. How do you get a girlfriend? I talked to him how not to get a girlfriend. My marriage got a little bit better. I became a better parent because I wasn't focused in on them. I'm focusing in on the guys that I sponsor. Somewhere along the line, I did step eight and nine, talked to my sponsor. Ten years ago, my parents and I just didn't see eye to eye. AA, through sponsorship, showed me I had to take some actions. So I picked a softer, easier way. Who did I dislike the least? <laughs> Not the most, the least. That's my mom. So I started talking to my mom. A little chit-chat. Small things. Mother's Day, send a card. Birthday, send a card. A telephone call. Because, see, I'm the kind of alcoholic. I did all my heavy-duty drinking, all my big damage in Europe. Never wrote home, told many of the things that I was doing. You can't write those kind of things in letters. They censor those things. So how did I hurt her? My sponsor informed me I hurt her in the way and manner that I conducted myself. Not being a son. So, I invited my mother out to Nebraska to meet her new daughter-in-law, because in the meantime I got married and got another daughter. I produced daughters. I don't know how to make boys. And so I quit and got fixed. I don't have to worry about it anymore. <laughs> and my mother comes out, and there's some alcohol, untreated alcoholism in my family. I never focused in on that because I was too focused in on myself. And I took my mom to a meeting. She was going to go back. She wanted to learn AA and one hour quick lesson. Go back, fix her family. And I was smart. I heard what you people do in AA. I know about Al-Anon. So I, at that particular time, the Al-Anon group met at the same place, the AA group. So I waited for the first Al-Anon to come in that I had respect for. Because I'm going to turn my mother over to him, so i got to respect him. You know, this, this is the person who's going to take care of my mother. You know, you just don't give them to anybody. You know, it's like your own kids. You don't just give them to anybody. And I turned my mother over to a gentleman who took her into her first Al-Anon meeting. My mother was a very active member of Alcoholics Anonymous. I mean, Al-Anon. We had a common bind. We had a program that we could understand and talk. And I talked to my mother two, three, four times a month. I used to hang up on my mother same way I would hang up on guys I sponsored. If she was whining, i hang up. My dime. I don't want to call you. Know, it's too much money and vice versa. And we started this relationship. Now, see, there's this other member of my family I ain't talking to. He's my father. That's fine. Everybody's got to have one. <laughs> and I knew that I had to make amends. I felt that writing a letter wasn't going to do it. it was, I'm not a good letter writer. My father's not a good reader. And we want to make sure the point gets across. And I kind of delayed and delayed and delayed. 1989, I decided to go home. 
visit my folks and I talked to my sponsor and he basically told me what to tell my father. You know, and I was making amends for not being the kind of son that a son should be. Woo, that's it. Thank you, ma'am. I you know, figured this great big lecture I was supposed to give him. Tell him about if you had gotten the money for me to go to college, I wouldn't have been in the Air Force. I wouldn't have done this and this and this and this and this and this. He just said, tell him you're not this kind of son that he would expect, to, you know, one would want to be. What happened that night, as I'm about to make amends to my father, there's four boys. I'm in the military, have two have gone to college, one just doing his thing. And my father considered me his best son. And the reason he said that is because I, I found out that I had a problem. And I was doing something about my problem. And he was proud of me, of what I had accomplished. And I was about ready to retire from the military. And he was happy for me. See, I had always been the kind of son that he wanted me to be. He just wanted me to stand on my own two feet and be grown and do my thing, do what I was supposed to do, be one of God's kids. That's what he wanted me to do. So I had an opportunity to clean the slate with my father. Last November, my father died. I didn't have to worry about, well, do I have, well, how am I ever going to make amends to my father? I made living amends to my father. I communicated with my father every chance I had, invited him to my house. He came out. We spent a week together, enjoyed it, took him places, took him to AA meetings to see what, where I was going, took him to meet my family. So when my dad died and he had been sick for a while, I knew that he was going to the place, best place he could go. God was ready to receive him. God didn't take him away. He received him. So by going home, I realized that maybe instead of going to England, where that's where my wife is from, and visit her folks and have fun for the summer, I would go back to the East Coast, visit my mother, take my family back there to visit them, show them where I came from. They had never been there. We start planning this, like in December. Things like we were going to take the train. We were going to ride the train. And I was all set. We looked at the money. Money was right. And I made a comment. My wife's sponsor, which happens to be my sponsor's wife, made a comment to me. Reg, you think you could put up with those two women for two days on a train? Nope. Changed plans. We flew. So we start planning flying. My mother talked to me, and she was going to have to go in the hospital for an operation. She thought it was going to be a quick one, in and out. And what, would that interfere with our trip? And I said, no, Mom, you know, we're still coming. The tickets are bought. We've made plans to do a lot of things. She said, great. I was afraid that you wouldn't be able to do, you know, you would cancel everything. So she went in and she had her operation. They thought it was going to be a single bypass, and it was a double. And I had an opportunity to call my mother, and she was on intensive care ward on a Sunday, and I talked to her. And we were laughing and joking. Uh, I like to control money, and I was figuring out how to manipulate some money from her and uh, help pay for the trip because she was going to go with me and all that kind of stuff, what we do planning trips. That Monday, my mother died. We were supposed to leave the following Sunday. That day, I was physically sick. had nothing to do with what was going on in Connecticut, folks. I ain't that spiritual. I got physically sick. A lesser man would have went home from work, but I, I hung in there and uh, I decorated a trash can. There's a long story about that, but I went home afterwards. I, got, I, I hung in there until quitting time. I went home, started feeling a little better. Monday night's a regular night that I go to a meeting. And I couldn't justify not going to the meeting. Now, Chicago Cubs are on TV. I can watch the Cubs. I like baseball. Everybody knew that I was sick. It would be okay. Nobody would have questioned why didn't Reggie go to the meeting. Reggie questioned it. So I went to the meeting. And I was sitting in the meeting just as the meeting was about to start. And my, speak, my sponsor was speaking at that meeting. Where it's a workshop and he was conducting the workshop. And a phone call came in. And it was a message from my daughter. And then I needed to call back to Connecticut. And by a long story, I couldn't make the right connections. I ended up going home, which is across town, and I called back. 
And I found out my mother died. And I told my daughter, and her and I cried. The next thought that came into my mind, this is why I love AA. The next thought, go back to the meeting. Go to the meeting. Put my daughter in the car and we got and we drove back to the meeting. My daughter kept saying, Why are we going here? Why are we going well, why are we going to the meeting? And I said, I don't know where else to go. I absolutely do not know where to go. And I walked into the meeting and I, I crashed. I, I couldn't take the pressure. AA came through and did what they do and made it made me feel okay. I'm sitting in my house. One of the guys I sponsored came over to see what he could help do. We do that in AA sometimes. It helps to have people with the sponsor because then they get a chance to re- pay back the rewards that you have given them. In sincerity, without expecting anything in return, he just showed up and he was there. My sponsor showed up. It's not that it was that big of a deal. I hadn't asked him. It wasn't that I was expecting him to show up. Or it wasn't that I was not expecting him to show up. He showed up. And he stayed for a time. My wife and I laugh at how he did it. We're sitting in the living room, just kind of sitting around, thinking who we got to call. My sponsor reaches in, grabs a chair out of the kitchen, puts it right in the middle of the living room. And he starts talking. He starts talking about living. Life goes on. Life goes on. He had taught me that when my father died. Life goes on. I was back in the healing process. I was back into the solution of Alcoholics Anonymous. Life was going on. I got a guy that I sponsor there. I'm trying to take help him. Life goes on. And I got back into living. We went back to Connecticut. They buried her on a Saturday. We got there on a Sunday. I went by Monday. Tipped my hat. Said something simple to my mom. Like, Mom, I told you. You and him bickered the whole time you were married. Now you're going to bicker some more. Because you're at, your both of yours are at your best. You couldn't get rid of them. And then we went to a mall. My wife loves malls. They went and spent money. We went to a mall. We went on with life's business. That's what AA has given me. Life's business. Going on. Doing what's in front of you to do. Trying to be the best member of Alcoholics Anonymous you can be. This is what AA has given me. My message to the newcomers. I wish you desperation. Desperation. To change your life. Change what's going on in your life. I only know one place. One place to do it. I've tried many ways. AA. AA. Those people who leave AA and don't come back. We don't know if it's better out there. They don't come back to tell us. They don't come back. I have never seen anyone come back to AA say, excuse me, I want to talk. It is fantastic out there. (laughs) What we get in AA in meetings of Alcoholics Anonymous is people who leave and come back and say it's miserable. I couldn't do this. I couldn't do that. They come back. And they tell us that they got to do AA. That's what I've learned here. I've learned to be one of God's kids. Just one of God's kids. Just be human. Not unique. Not special. Just one of God's kids. Try to be the best member of Alcoholics Anonymous I know how. Work with the newcomers. Tell them it's okay. For every lie that they can tell you about drinking, you tell them a lie about how good it is to stay here. And eventually, (laughs) even out. And they find out that you weren't joking. It's a lot better here than it is out there. AA works. For those of you who have been here for a while, work with the newcomers. Talk about the steps. Get into the steps. It's nice having fellowship. We're going to have fellowship as soon as I finish. We laugh and joke. 
But talk about the steps. Talk about sponsorship. Get involved in a group. Make it the best group that you know how. Have an understanding about God that you don't understand so that you can understand. See, because I don't understand, but I understand that I don't understand it makes it okay. Makes my life comfortable. Once again, I want to thank the committee for allowing me to participate. I've enjoyed it. And I like to close with something that I always close with. Makes absolutely good sense to me, maybe nothing to you. But I'm not the man that I ought to be. And I'm not the man that I want to be. But by the grace of God, sponsorship, the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, I'm not the man I used to be. Thank you very much.